special with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the Volunteer State. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional, amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directories, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So here we are into May. Tournament season's still being adjusted, looking to get back in in June. PGA's starting to make announcements of how to get back out there and play without caddy. So again, hope is right around the corner. Um, and oddly enough, it's 2020, and this is my 20th episode of Believe in Tennessee Golf. So we're going to stay on the listeners and, and, and talk about the questions that are coming in. And the last couple of weeks, I've really I've dabbled my toes, uh, kind of got into the, the, the shallow end of strokes gained and what that really means and, and tried to do a, an explanation of. And again, it's a it's a mathematical format of what a player would is should shoot from a particular distance. But again, it's very detailed. But this question came in from David. And so David was asking me, you know, as I, as I talked about strokes game last week, about how to do it off the tee shot and, and how to play it into the green, he was asking about par three scoring, you know, talking about the, the best players must really score well on the par threes. And just so happens, um, there's a guy out here, Scott Fawcett, uh, Decade Golf. You can look him up. I went through one of his seminars. It's an amazing concept. But it's a course management program. And I got thinking that most of my lessons I've given in the last couple of weeks have all been about course management. We're getting out on the golf courses. We're learning how to aim away from certain flags from distances to play the breaks and the bounces. And so David's question kind of comes right into this. So Scott actually threw something up on his Twitter account. Um, talk about scoring averages. Now, when we look at distance on the PGA Tour, and, and him and Mark Brody really broke this down, but from 120 yards uh, distance-wise, the Tour Pro is going to average 2.85 shots. So, again, in my mind, he's birdieing 15% of the time and parring 85% of the time. And, and looking at the stat numbers, uh, 160 becomes a 2.98. So, again, birdieing about 2% of the time. 162 is the absolute break-even point on on tour. If you make from 162, if you make a three, you are the field. You're you're just that's what they do. 170, the average 3.03. Now we've seen all the par threes throughout the years on the PJ Tour that can stretch out to 230 yards, and you get down to pebble, and it's a little 80, 90 yard shot. And, and you know, depending on the wind conditions, it can really get there. But so you'd think par threes are where you get most of your shots. But when you start to look at the diff- distances, as soon as you start playing shots of 165 or more, you're going to bogey it more than you birdie it. And, and Scott did a really good breakdown of the top 40 players um, on the all-time money list um, that are, I'm, as I'm glancing down this list, I'm verifying. Um, yeah, we've got Kevin Na. KJ Choi, Webb Simpson. So it may not be the all-time money list, but it may be the guys that are currently playing. Uh, I definitely see Bubba Watson, Jeff Ogilvy, Bill Haas, Roy Sabatini. So some names it's been a while we've seen. But in all events, um, 
throughout the average of the top 20 here. This is the top 40 in the career money list um, that are currently playing right now. Jason Day leads at 3.006, scoring average on par threes. So again, you look at that, and he's basically going to bogey one out of 100 uh, it, with a little bit of rounding there. Now, as you go through there, he birdies 14.9%. He bogeys 13.4%. He doubles 1%. And he has the other 0 .09. Now, this is all-time, all events. Tiger Woods is number two on this. He's 3.03. But when you look at the average, so the top 40 on the money list, average 3.055. They birdie 13.5% of the time, and they bogey 14.5% of the time. So again, these guys are making more bogeys than they make birdies on par threes. Now you move into non-major events. That number moves a little bit. It moved from a 3.055 to a 3.044. Their bogey percentage went from a 13.5 to a 13.8. I'm sorry, their birdie percentage went from a 13.5 to a 13.8. And their bogey percentage went from a 15.6 to a 15. So again, almost identical. We go to major events only. The scoring average now moves up to 3.118. They're birdieing only 11% of the time, and they're bogeying 19% of the time. So, again, we know how the, the conditions of a major get a lot tougher. So, again, as you're, as you're sitting there out there, again, David, just talking about this, if you're playing par threes of 100, and we'll just call it 160, because uh, 162 is the break-even point on tour. But if you're playing a par 3 of 160 or longer, your main goal there should be hit to the safe part of the green, give yourself a chance to make the par, and get off. You're just not going to make a lot of birdies at those distances. Um, now, you get inside that 160 zone, yes, you can be a little bit more aggressive because the odds are in your favor um, to score better just because the hole's getting shorter. I remember years ago, there used uh, in West Tennessee, there was a um, a shootout, uh, and, and it, you know, everybody signed up. You teed up on the first hole, and a group was eliminated, uh, or somebody was eliminated after every hole um, until there was a final winner. Well, that format had got a little hectic with 18, 20 people starting in the first group and eliminating. So the one year that I was playing in it, they decided to make them all par threes in the front nine, just cumulative low of scoring. So every hole in the front nine um, at the state park was shortened to a par three, uh, a range of distances. And this was really before laser range finders and GPSs were out there. So, you know, we all kind of knew where the markers were and how far we'd played the course enough. And I made a commitment that day that I was just going to hit the middle of the green um, in a par three event because I knew I didn't score very well in par threes. I, I was losing my advantage on the par fives and the par fours I was playing. So I just opted to, no matter where the pin was at, aim at the center of the green. And the pin that was on the front, if I mishit a little bit, it was great. And if the pin was on the back, I might be a little short, but that was fine. So I'll go through, again, a long story to this one, but try to make it a little bit shorter. I believe I hit all nine greens, but I know I made two birdies, no bogeys, and won the event, only shooting two under on the par threes. But again, when you look at the stats... I just got a really good number of those day and hit some really good shots. So a lot of times, David, when you're playing those shots on the par threes, you're just better off being a little bit more conservative, try and get your three, let your buddies, let your competitors make the mistakes, make the fours, and you can make up some ground on the field. So 
Again, inside 150, get a little bit more aggressive and start angling at them, but 160 and out, just get your three and get out of there. And you can check out all these stats on Decade Golf. Uh, you can go to pjtour.com and look at the tour stats as well. So, David, I hope that helps you a little bit on the par three scoring. So, be conservative. Don't make a big number. Um, stop the bleeding quickly and just get your par and go on. All right, so this one came in from Luke. And Luke was asking about decisions about choosing an instructor or, or a teacher and kind of what the differences are and how you go through this. And, and you know, for a long time, um, I, I thought they were the same. And you go through a golf teacher really works on the swing and, and teaches the fundamentals. And what I learned is most teachers in that aspect, and I know I'll open this one up, um, so I'm prepared for the blast on these, so go ahead and give it to me. I'll, I'll answer and respond as efficiently as I can. But so for a teacher, a lot of time they spend the time on the range, they work on your golf swing, they give you the fundamentals you need, and then they just let you go play golf, and then they tell you when you're ready for your next lesson, come back. And then what I started to see when I realized what, coaches were it made me think of playing sports uh growing up i didn't tell the coach when i wanted to practice i didn't tell the coach when i wanted to play the coach told me and that's what i really see and what i kind of feel i have become um as a coach so when i set up my packages and my programs with my students we pick a day and time that is fairly repeatable and whether it's every week, every other week, or again, we go into all those details, but that's our set time. That's golf day. That's that's the lesson. That's when we're going to be there. We're going to work on our things. And understand life gets in the way, and we got to make some adjustments. And golf is not like high school sports where you're a teenager being told to do what to do by an adult. It's a, a passion that you want to play. But I see the coach is the person who wants to work on all aspects of your game. They want to make sure your putting is good as your you're chipping, you're chipping as good as your iron playing is your, your tee shots, and they're taking you to the golf course, and they're doing the stuff. But not only are they helping you understand the fundamentals and get better, but in the coaching mentality, they're out there with you. They're the ones that are bringing you to the golf course, making you come in. Um, and so what I would do, Luke, if you're looking for somebody in your area, you can search Top Structures Golf Digest as an amazing list of people in your state. But my biggest thing is call the coach, uh, call the teacher and, and talk to them and find out what their philosophies are and make sure they gel and they mesh with you. Um, I know I read um, several uh, sports psychology books over the year, but one sticks out the most by Dr. Bob Rotella, where the first lesson one of his friends gives is an hour and a half cup of coffee. And the, the instructor, the, the coach, sits down with the student over coffee and they have an hour and a half conversation about their goals and what they're looking for out of the game and their swing and their concepts. And it's kind of a job interview. And if the coach doesn't like what he's hearing, he will pass on the student. Um, and so it's got to be a two-way street. You've got to make sure you, Luke, as the student, are on the right path. But the coach is going to get you there and has the mentality to get there. Um Think about greatest coaches of all time over the years, and Bobby Knight always pops up in basketball, but what do we know him as? A chair slinging, um, you know, yelling at the guys and getting them fired up, and that motivation worked. Um, but that might not be your mentality. 
um, just again, depending on what you're looking for. If you're trying to knock a few shots off and, and, and have fun and beat the guys on the weekend, you know, find you a good teacher and go from there. If you're looking to compete and take it to the next level, and again, I'm using teacher and coach separately, and then some people classify them the same. But again, the coach is going to go that extra mile. Um, and they're going to be the ones that are out there with you in the rain hitting balls and the wind hitting balls, making sure you're doing it right and getting you out there. So, Luke, jump on Golf Digest. You can find a lot of great instructors in your area. Talk to the best players in the area. Go to a couple of local clubs. Make some phone calls. Um, I'm sure you can find somebody close to you that can help you out. Uh, and then again, like we talked about, um, I know Ben Pelicani uh, up here at West Haven is doing um, some virtual lessons. I don't know if he's using Zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. Uh, I know I've seen the posting from the Golf Tech guys where they're actually doing virtual lessons as well. So there's a lot of ways to get your swing out there for people to look at and get some quality people looking at it and knowing that you're going to see the improvement you're looking for. So just do a little research. Um, Google's your friend in this aspect. But yeah, jump on there, find out. But my regards is always find, look for a coach, somebody who's going to steer you down the right path, not just give you the information and let you go play. So this question from Tommy comes back in about the fitting side that we've talked about a couple of times. But says he was at his local golf shop looking for a set of clubs, uh, and he noticed that most of the sets are only coming with four irons. Um, the three iron and, the, and even the two iron is gone. And he was asking, what are the benefits of the hybrids and the, the hollow uh, utility irons uh, or driving irons that some people were talking about? So, Tommy, the things that we start talking about um, in the fitting process for longer irons, it's making a good gapping, but also being able to hit it high enough uh, to land and stop on the green. So, when we go through the fitting process, we're trying to get all iron shots to fall around a 45-degree angle. Just again, using TrackMan, FlightScope, Foresight, we've determined that that's the angle or scientists way smarter than me have determined that's the angle, the ball needs to fall and able to stop on the green well enough. And so, go back years ago, and Zach Johnson was carrying a different forearm than the rest of a set just because he could hit it a little bit higher. Um, and so those guys on the tour are doing the same things. And I've played some type of utility iron um, as a, a two, a three, and even a four probably the past 10 to 12 years. Um, so I've definitely seen the benefit of a club that, and I joke around and call some of my utilities like my 210-yard lob wedge. I can hit them as high as I want to, and they'll stop just like a wedge, but I can also drive them lower. Um, going through it, now when we start looking at the hybrids versus the irons, what we normally see, uh, and if we're just comparing foreign to foreign in this case, We'll normally see that the hybrid will hit the ball some 10, 15, even 20 yards higher in the air. So we start talking about peak height, and you'll see most tour events when they get back going, when Trackman's there, they read it in feet. And so Dustin Johnson will hit a shot, and it's going to peak about 120 feet um, on average. You'll see some guys that are peaking about 100 feet, some a little lower, some a little higher. But again, just kind of quick equation. But when you're able to hit a club some 20, 30, 40 feet higher into the air a long iron, it's just going to come down and set much softer. So that's where the hybrid starts to come into play. Um, 
because of the length of the club, um, the size of the head, and the graphite shaft, we normally see the hybrids to be, again, about 10 to 15 yards longer on the fly. You're hitting it higher, it stays in the air, um, and so you wind up getting more distance out of it. Now, where the disadvantage comes in when you take it to the golf course, you may only see a couple of yards change because your foreign come in low, landed short of the green, bounced, and rolled onto the center, and then you hit this hybrid and it lands on the green, stops softer, and winds up going the same distance. So in your mind, you're hitting them the same, so what's the benefit? But we're actually able to see that, you know, that forearm landed short using the launch monitors, we can definitely tell the difference in the carry comparing them side by side. So too often when we're going through a fitting, you're getting actual carry distance numbers. And the golf courses you're playing are wet or soft can change the overall outcome of that. So as good as the launch monitors are, they just can't take in consideration the condition of the course you're playing each day. Now when we get into the utility irons, uh, again, now these are going to be a little bit bigger head than a normal forearm. Um, and what we'll see there is normally, again, about 10 yards higher, not quite as high as a hybrid, um, but definitely a little bit higher. We generally see, again, about a full club difference in carry, so some 8 to 12 yards there. But again, when you get on the golf course um, and hit them, and by the time yours lands short and rolls up and this one flies on and stops overall distance may not change so it's just begin basing on that carry distance um so tommy mom i know golf digest did a really good article on this about five or six years ago but they really broke it down by club head speed that if your driver club head speed is this um you know we'll just call it 90 miles an hour then you probably need to be playing some kind of four or five hybrid in your bag because that would mean your seven irons only going about 130 yards so that 5-iron would be your 150 club looking for something aloft at elevation. Now, again, you, I'm just recalling this article. I'm not quoting it because I don't have it in front of me. But it was a really good indicator that if your club head speed was this, you weren't generating enough speed to get the maximum carry out of that club. And, and that's what really comes is, is the forced carries. Um, it's great that if you can roll your driver to 250, but if it's only flying 220, you get up on that hole and it's 230 to fly the bunker. You know your driver goes 250. You hit it really good and it bounces in the bunker and you're confused to what happened. It's because, again, conditions of the course are different than your carry distance. And we just don't see that because we can't tell where it lands in most cases. So, Tommy, what I'd tell you to do is go in um, to your local retail store, go to your local club. Somebody's got a launch monitor. Take your forearm out there. Um, hit some shots with it, or if you've still got the three iron in your bag you're talking about, hit some shots with your three iron and, and let your professional or fitter work you into the club that comes in higher, softer, and flies further and gives you a better playable distance. So I kind of hope that helps you side down that line. Uh, again, I'm a huge believer in the utilities. They work well for me, um, but I play hybrids as a fairway wood replacements. So I carry a 13-degree three-wood, a 17-degree hybrid, uh, and then I have a utility iron that's uh, 21 degrees, and that just kind of works the bag really well for me. This one comes in from Mark, and Mark has actually come in several times. I appreciate you listening and paying attention. He's normally talked about fitting a lot, but this time he's asking about some putting aids that I mentioned a couple of episodes back about when putting was so important. Um, and he was just basically asking, with this time, what, what have I been using to use around the house 
to work on my putting and what are some good recommendations. So Mark, the first thing I say is just get a putting green. Now I know there's some, you can find some inexpensive ones for 2030 and you can spend all the way up to thousands if you want to. So normally just a good foot and a half, two foot wide by eight to 15 foot strip is all you need. I will say I've putted on the putt-out mat, and I find it very smooth. Um, and it's got one, two, three, four, five, and six feet increments um, with a cup position. I do like those, but it's a little on the pricey side at $100. So I'm not endorsing their product. I'm not telling you to go buy it, but it is a really good one. Um, and the putt-out tool itself uh, I think is an amazing one. Uh, I love it because it's got a couple of different drills. You can go to their website, puttout.com. But it's a, it looks like a little bit of an elevated ramp. Um, it has a hole uh, a couple of inches up. It's, it's four and a half inches wide or four and a quarter inches wide, just like a cup. And the hole that is there can be plugged. And what it's designed to do is you can roll some putts at it. And if you roll it straight in the middle, it will roll back to you. If it's a little on the left or a little on the right, it will fall back down the ramp at an angle. And so it's helping you focus on making a smaller target. Once you get really good with that, you can actually pop the hole out, and with the correct speed, the ball will come to rest inside that hole. And I know one of my students actually has the putt-out mat and the ball, and he'll run himself like I did with the wedge test, trying to fly at a certain distance. He'll start at a foot, and he'll putt until he can stop it in each foot section all the way back to six feet and he'll report his numbers to me and I think he's been able to get it down into the high mid to high 20s which is to me sounds amazing I know the couple of times I've tried it I'm, I'm definitely in the 30s to 40s zone so he has a little bit more time and patience to work on that than me but the put out system is really good um, I've always used um, eyeline products uh, I like their mirrors their rail systems just helps me see my alignment my setup so those are really good, and you can find a lot of other companies out there, but Eyeline Golf is, uh, you can go to their website, eyeline.com, and they have training aids to work on putting, uh, chipping uh, across the board. So again, a great training aid location if you're looking for something there. Uh, Mark, one of the other things I really like to do, and, and I've done this for years, I use a laser um, just to help me with my sight and my alignment now. Personally, I've had a laser level and an alignment board that I've used for years. I learned this from a, a putting system back in the 90s uh, when I first turned professional that I'd go through in fitting. It just allows me to see that the ball's lined up in the same spot every time, that my putter face is square, my sight line doesn't start on line. Um, we use lasers in, in the centers a lot when I'm in, teaching as well. Um, just to do the exact same stuff. Just helps with sight alignment and, and getting you there. And you can generally find an inexpensive laser level starting around $30 or so at your home improvement stores, Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, the putting arc, um, a real good friend of mine used to rep on the PJ Tour and the uh, now Corn Ferry Tour. It used to be Web.com Tour, but he was a putter uh, rep. And he worked with several different putter companies and putting training aids. And he introduced me to... Um, the putting arc, and it's just a slight arc in to out. Um, again, when my friend who designed the um, putting pendulum, it's a rod that hooks on your putter and into your chest. When you keep that connection, you'll notice how the putter works slightly inside, back to impact and slightly inside. So it works on a little bit of a mini arc, nothing majorly that you have to, to manipulate, but it's a really nice concept and feel. 
and you'll see a lot of them that kind of do the arc. So I, I like the arc concept. That way I can just kind of lock in. Kind of goes back to the old Adam Scott uh, anchoring to his chest putting system. If you just hold that there and as you turn your shoulders back, the putter's going to move slightly inside. But it doesn't move off his chest. It doesn't move away from him. It's in a fixed position. So it just kind of shows how the arc works there. Um, there's some really good, um, you can get as detailed, um, my friend Chris Woods that was on a couple of weeks ago with uh, Golf Amplified, I know he has the putt view. Uh, I don't know of anybody in Nashville, Middle Tennessee, that has it yet. Um, I've actually talked to a couple of my buddies in uh, some other areas that are looking at the system, though. Um, and, you know, it's a really good one because you're on elevated greens or undulating greens. And this will show you your path line so you can kind of see and help with the speed. So, you know, if you're up in the Kingsport area, you can definitely call Chris, um, rent some time on the machine, get in there and work on your putting and kind of see that. But, Mark, I mean, what it boils down to is just being able to practice the stroke that you're comfortable with. Um, so, again, I like some training aids, something that works as a rail. Um, you've got tons of mirrors that you can pick up for sight alignment. Uh, Odyssey and, and Callaway have launched the Triple Track series of golf ball and putter. So you can actually use your sight lines uh, on the ball, and then you can put your putter down there as well to help with alignment. So you see a lot of the guys on tour starting to switch to something like that and a lot of promotion on that product coming up this year. But at the end of the day, you just need a flat surface to put into. Uh, I, I think I've told this story before, but a friend of mine had linoleum floors in his kitchen that had just enough of a groove, and we would sit there um, and just putt all night in, in the kitchen, just practice and rolling it. Could you hit it with the right speed? I've done a lot of putting drills off uh, rulers. You know, I worked with a buddy of mine that used to play on the web.com. Um, he was playing in the state open one year, and I just gave him my laser and uh, my alignment board uh, and a ruler. And he just practiced putting in his hotel room every night. And he goes on and finishes low pro in the event that week. Um, I didn't do anything but just kind of help him set back up and give him something to drill to practice with. And so often that's all it is. You just need something that you can spend. 20, 30 minutes when you get some time just rolling some putts to get that feel. So, Mark, check out that eyeline, uh, golf.com, uh, get you a putting mat, and just kind of spend some time with it, get some speed down, and just practice those short putts. If you can make those three to five footers, you're going to score a lot better, so you don't take a lot of long putts. Well, everyone, I'm going to kind of wind it down there. Thanks so much for the questions coming in this week from everybody. Uh, I couldn't get to them all, but I'll keep them in a log, and we'll kind of go back and look at them. But, uh, again, everybody, this is Paul Brennan, PJ Professional, Believe in Tennessee Golf. You're on the Believe Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find me at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrennan21 or, or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Weather's looking nice this weekend. We're starting to hear rumors of courses opening back up um, that have been closed. I know my lesson, my teaching book is starting to get more full, so I know people are starting to get out and enjoy themselves into this weather. So get out, play fun, uh, have some fun. And as we talked about with David earlier in the week, it's 150 yards, get a little bit more aggressive on that par three, 
But anything 160 and out, just hit it in the middle of the green, make your par, and win the bets off your boys. Y'all have a great week.